Amen. Let's all stand together, open our Bibles to Job this evening, chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through verse 6. The Bible says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she asses, and a very great household, so that this man, look what it says, was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went out, feasted in their houses, everyone in his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The revelation of the faith of Job. I believe this book reveals the battle, the emotional battle, the physical battle, the spiritual battle that took place in his heart. But you see the triumph of faith. Now when we talk about faith, uh, we often Wonder when is our faith measured throughout the course of our life? Uh, there are certain things that reveal our faith, and we'd like to think that God wouldn't measure our faith at its lowest point. Amen. In this case, uh, God measured his faith at his highest point. Over the course of his life, Job was a blessed man. Financially, the Bible says he was the wealthiest of all the men in the East. His cattle, his sheep, his oxen, his camels, his asses. He had a great household to think of the financial empire that Job had. And in the midst of this, what God's going to do is reveal his level of faith. It says, verse 1, in the middle of that, he was perfect and upright. Now, let me just say this. I've seen a lot of people at the, the pinnacle of their uh, life as far as their finances, their youthful energy, their health, their family. I've often seen people, as soon as they get a little success, distance themselves from God. And in their youth, they were fervent and passionate. They were soul winning. They were tithing. They were committed to the things of God. Uh, but the more the company required of them, the more they dedicated themselves to the world and the things of this world and begin to abandon the very things that they once were committed to. I've seen people uh, they used to sow in, but, but now uh, they, they were able to find the time to sow in when they were making 15 bucks an hour. But now that they're making 45 bucks an hour, they can't seem to find the time. And when they had one car, uh, they, they found a way to be faithful to God's house. But now that they have three, they're committed to paying off their car loans. Amen. I, I've seen people, amazingly, when they made 20 bucks an hour, were faithful to tithe and give to missions. But now that they have 100000 plus salary, they, they find it difficult to tithe and impossible if there's a Christmas bonus to make sure God is honored in that. Not Job. Every bonus he received, 
Every blessing from the hand of God was recognized. And this is not a tribute from the mouth of a family member or a friend or an acquaintance, but from the very mouth of God in eternal scripture that said he was upright and perfect, fearing God and eschewing evil. How many of you like for God to look at your life and say these words? If he's going to say any four things about me, I'd love for him to say Adam Thompson was perfect. I'd love for anyone to say Adam Thompson was perfect. You're just not going to hear that slip out of any man's mouth, whether or not he's drunk. It's simply not going to be said of this preacher perfection. But I hope uprightness. I hope a fear of God. I hope an eschewing of evil is something that's attributed to my life. But this is from the mouth of God in the midst of great financial success. But uh, when we talk about the revelation of a man's faith, usually we're not going to get the full revelation at his highest point when everything's going well, when the blessings are literally pouring down out of heaven. Every business venture that Job endeavored to take looked like a great success. Here's uh, a man with a family who had plenty of money uh, to go, uh, whether it's Louis Vuitton or a coach for the kids for Christmas, whatever the case, they were able to buy the finest. Uh, they, they had excess. Vacation was a normal thing. Uh, and so when they looked at Job, they said, what a man. And here's the deal. Most of the time we measure man at his finest. Sunday morning, suit and tie, smile on his face. There goes a good Christian. But really that man's faith in Christianity should be measured on Thursday morning in the middle of a tense work situation or Thursday night in the middle of a family problem because the revelation will probably be a little bit better. But God measured it at the pinnacle of his success and Satan came along and said, Oh God, you're misreading this man. Because you're, you're looking at his character on his birthday. You're looking at his character in the middle of Christmas. You're looking at his character when there's a bonus check in the mail. What about when you take from him, I bet his attitude changes, and his Christianity will not be nearly as great, his faith not nearly as strong, if you measure his faith in the midst of crisis. Now, Satan is used to seeing people act very differently spiritually in crisis than they do in the middle of success. Let me just say this. Very few Christians can truly handle success in a godly manner. They don't let money grab their heart. They don't pursue uh, more wealth at the cost of their family. They don't become less committed to God because they're becoming more committed to their company. I'm just telling you, usually human nature, the higher we go up the ladder, the more financial and earthly success that we enjoy. We see it take a toll on our spiritual life. But in Job's case, he had passed this test, the test of success. So Satan tells God, God, I know Job better than you do. Well, actually, Satan, you don't. And God knew that he would withstand the test, but Satan said, you're better off measuring a man's faith in the midst of crisis. 
Now, he may have had a point there. It's just he was wrong about Job's Christian character. Because often we will act and react very differently in the midst of a crisis. Now, I don't want to read all of this. Everyone here is very familiar. But the words in verse 6, now there was a day. In verse 13, and there was a day. This is pointing to a circumstance that is greatly going to affect the life of Job and all the good that it experienced is about to change. In a single day, we know what happens. His servants come telling him the bad news about his cattle and his servants. And while the bad news is coming in, when it rains, it pours. Verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came another. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking, there came another. Verse 18, while he was yet speaking. Can you imagine? I don't think we've ever truly put ourselves in Job's chair. The overwhelming emotions as he's being barraged by bad news. Literally, one man had not even finished the conversation explaining the death, the toll, the fire, the whirlwind, the rustlers, all the bad that had befallen Job. And he's getting, he's like, I don't want another person to come through the door. I I don't want to hear any more news because it's all bad. And he went in one 24-hour period from the richest man in the entire area to the poorest man in a single day. Oh, you, you may have been concerned today with the latest news that came from the Fed and the stocks were dropping and maybe you were looking at your portfolio with great panic, but nothing like Job when he lost in a single day. Every last penny of his investments was gone. If it was not stolen, it had been burnt or blown away. And then... Uh, comes the news of his kids as all ten are killed in that uh, storm. The great wind blows the four corners of the house over and his children die. I don't think we can truly wrap our minds around a day on this level. Now let me say, Capital City, I it's not with great desire that I preach a message like this. But I do believe it's of great importance. Because truly our faith is measured not when God gives, but when God takes. What if this is the year that God takes something from you? Most Christians wouldn't survive if God took 10% of their income. They become angry at God. God, I tithe and then I give to missions and you took 10% of my income from me. What if... God took that company and made it go belly up. And you found yourself looking for a job. What what if you got hit by a car and your car was totaled and the insurance company said, we're not going to pay for that. There are people that literally would lose their faith and become angry with God if he took anything from them. And by the way, not to be a bearer of bad news, but sooner or later, God is going to take. He gives and takes at some point that good health that you enjoy will be taken from you at some point even your last breath will be taken 
from you. Those are called the cycles of life. We never enjoy that possibility. We would like to choose the timing of when it is taken and how it is taken. But your faith is measured not when God is pouring out his greatest blessings, but when something, no matter how big or small, is taken from you. It may be a loved one. It may be something financial. It may be your health. Now, here's what we tend to do. We are carnal enough that we put everything within the confines of the financial, and we consider his wealth and what he lost. Trust me, I do not believe, no matter what I've heard spoken of Job, I do not believe his wealth was of great concern. We see a man that reveals over the course of this book that the finances were the least of his concerns. And when a man loses all, he quickly prioritizes what was of greater value. So let's look for a minute at what Job would consider great loss beyond the financial empire. Now, look, look what it says in verse 5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered, uh, now, now look at this, burnt offerings, what's it say? According to the number of them all. So we had 10 kids, which means at least 10 animals had to be sacrificed every day. Do the math, that's 300 animals a month. That's 3,656 animals a year. Now, I often read this story and thought, why would a man want that many animals? He needed that many animals because the Bible says every day for each one of those kids, Job would rise up early and be in a continual state of sacrifice to God and in prayer for his family. That's dedication. So when we talk about the loss of his herds and his animals, we constantly think about the value. That's a financial empire to us that was lost overnight. I don't think Job was concerned about the financial value. I think Job was concerned because every day he would wake up early and prepare those sacrifices to God. And the day after all of this happened, he got up and had nothing to sacrifice. Christian, you know what's going to measure your faith? One day you may get up and have nothing to sacrifice. You're used to going to church, but things have changed. The leadership changed, the pastor changed, the people changed. You don't have the energy, you don't have good health. You'd like to give, but you don't have the finances. What you used to be able to do for missions, God took that from you. You simply don't have it. You used to sing and now you don't have a voice. What you used to offer to God, you no longer have to offer to God. Your heart is there. Your passion is there. Your desire is there. But you don't even have the sacrifice you once had to offer to God. Can you imagine Job being in this place? 
every day he was finding the 10 animals without spot, without blemish. You know how many animals you have to have to find 10 every day without spot and blemish to offer to God? And suddenly, he wakes up and he goes to that altar and he says, God, I, I'd like to offer you a sacrifice today, but I don't have the animals. I don't want to offer for my children. I don't have the children. Are you there? We take so much for granted. I think we take our sacrifice for granted. We take our voices for granted. We take our health for granted. We take our church for granted. We take our ministries for granted. We take our talents and abilities for granted. And one of these days, what God has given you, he's going to take from you. And then he's going to test your faith to see if you still go, despite the fact you have no sacrifice to give. Because half your pleasure was singing, and now you can't sing. Half of your pleasure was playing that instrument or leading that ministry, but now you don't have a ministry, and now you don't have the strength to play the instrument. You used to give and finance so much, and now you don't have a job. And every time the offering plate comes by, you're pained because you'd like to do what you used to do. But God took your camels and your cows. Are you with me tonight? This is the test of your faith. This was the test of his faith. Not the value of those animals, but the value of his sacrifice and what he might have taken for granted suddenly. He's sitting there without it and saying, God, I don't regret what you took from me. But I wish I could still this morning at least have 10 animals to make 10 sacrifices. So the first thing he lost of true value was sacrifice. Look what it says in chapter 42, verse 7. Keep your finger here and we'll flip back and forth. It was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to life as the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For you have not spoken to me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. My servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept lest I deal with you after your folly. Why do you think he had to take the animals? Because Job had not. If this trial lasted 10 months or 12 months and everyone would dispute and God doesn't give us the details, however long that trial lasted, Job woke up every day under the same torment of not having a single sacrifice for his God. Go back with me to chapter 1. It wasn't just his sacrifice that he lost. The Bible says, verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking, wanting their elders for this house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. I can't imagine the tragedy of losing one of my children prematurely. 
I've had to comfort parents, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know how to do that. I never lost a child. I can't imagine the pain of losing a child. I want my children to have to bury me. I don't want to have to bury them. But can you imagine looking at your wife and having her hear the news? She's already been buried under the bad news. But not one or two or five of the ten, but all ten lay dead. You've got to go gather their bodies. If you know anything about places where they can embalm, those bodies have to be in the ground within 24 hours. Can you imagine as they go out there and there's 10 caskets lined up, 10 holes dug? I don't think he was worried about his camels. I don't think he was concerned about his cows. I think there was a family grieving so deeply we can't imagine the depth of their sorrow. He loved those kids. It's one thing to love those kids as your DNA physically, but his love went a whole lot deeper than that. When you have a father that's sacrificing every day spiritually for those kids, that's a love deeper than most Christians I know. There he sits grieving, trying to console a wife that there's no way she can be consoled at this moment. This will be a revelation of your faith. Say, why would that happen? Why would God take not a child, but allow ten to be taken? Every child born on this planet at some point was taken. The life given was taken. No one gets to determine the time frame of that life. How long or how short When that life is taken, it is a revelation of our faith in God. Go with me to chapter 42. You say, why did this not destroy Job? Let me ask you, as a parent, I've seen parents utterly destroyed over the loss of a child. We had a mother in Mexico who... I had a 17-year-old boy. Sunday night, he was helping me hang a sign. Monday, got hit by a drunk driver. I stood in that hospital hallway. They didn't get him to a room. His skull was crushed, and we pushed our way past the security guard. People are so cold. We hugged his neck and prayed. That boy stepped off in eternity. Years later, Her daughter married a boy from Match Church. His wife was pregnant. Then he'd been married a year when his car veered off the road. He stepped into eternity. As a parent, unless you've been there, you can't understand the depth of sorrow. But that wasn't once or twice, but ten all gone in a single stroke. Now look what it says in verse 10, chapter 42, verse 10. Why why did not Job lose his mind? Why did his wife 
look at him and say, curse God and die. And Job said, I refuse, I'll worship him. Verse 10, the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job what? Twice as much. Verse 12, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, that's double. 6,000 camels, that's double. 1,000 yoke of oxen, that's double. 1,000 she-asses, that's double. Verse 13, he had also seven sons and three daughters. That's not double. Let me ask you this, did God lie to Job? David, when God says double, he means double. He had seven boys and God gave him seven more. He had three daughters and God gave him three more. Why did God say double? With every animal, he gave him double. With the children, you know why? Because Job was a man of faith. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. He believed in the resurrection of the dead. He said God didn't take those kids. He graduated them to heaven. I have 14 boys and six girls. God has blessed me doubly. That's why he didn't lose his mind. Look what it says. It went way beyond double with the kids. I've talked to people and they act like God shortchanged Job. Hold on for a second. Verse 16. After this lived Job 140 years and he saw his sons and his son's sons four generations. You tell me how many grandpas have seen four generations. Not a grandson or a great grandson but a great, great grandson. Yeah, God's blessed. Job, I, I don't think he has any reason to complain. Amen? Now, go back with me to chapter 1. God took his sacrifices. God took his children. Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 7. So when Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to his crown, and he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Job lost his health. Now, there's a lot of afflictions and a lot of loss that we can take, but when you lose your health, everything else becomes harder to deal with. You don't have the strength, you don't have the energy, and Job had overcome these losses, but now the second round has come, and he's knocked down, he's on the mat, he's trying to catch his breath, and every moment is not just painful emotionally and mentally, but physically painful. He can't even pay for a doctor to come over. He has no money to offer. There he sits in his lowest estate, no pain medication. He's literally scraping himself, and the Bible says from head to toe he's covered with boils. This is when a man's faith is measured. Satan was right. A man's faith is measured when a loved one's lost. A man's faith is measured... When his sacrifice to God is lost, a man's faith is measured when his health is lost. Oh, be careful how you judge a man. I, I would like to be judged at my peak, at my pinnacle, in my greatest moment. Because I've had some low moments when I wasn't super Christian. I've had some times I didn't want anybody to see me. 
not, not even my best friend, not my wife, no one in my family. I didn't even want God to see me. But Satan was so right. He said, if you take this man to his knees and you take away his sacrifice, and you take away his children, you take away his wealth, and you take away his health, surely his faith will be shattered. And it wasn't. Look what it says in verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, Thou speakest one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? Shall we not receive evil? God gives and he takes. And in this, did not Job sin with his lips? He lost the support of his wife. Now, you would think at this point, if he'd lost everything financially, and he lost his children, and he'd uh, lost what he'd consider all the good in his life, he'd lost uh, most of his servants, and now he's lost his health, and he's sitting there simply just trying to endure the pain and scrape the boils, that he'd get a little bit of support from his wife, but no, she's looking at him in frustration and anger and bitterness and saying what most women would say and doing what most women would do under these circumstances. Job, that God that you thought was so good to you, look what he's done to you now. Just curse God and die. I know a lot of men that can endure a lot of things. But if their wife were to turn, I don't know how many men I've seen endure a lot over the course of their life spiritually, but what they did not endure, what their faith could not endure was a wife that turned from support to attack mode. Begin to say, why? Why would you continue to give? Why, why would you continue to serve God? Why, why would you continue to minister with what you suffered? If there were a God in heaven that was as good as you're convinced he is, he certainly wouldn't let you deal with these situations and not the continued Job. How much more can we take? Job, how much more do you have to give? Let me ask you this. Job, what is the breaking point of your faith? I don't know very many that have ever made it to this point, but he would make it past this point. For those that like to criticize Job, I'd like to see your life, not at your best moment, but at your bleakest. Look what it says in verse 11. There was still more to lose. Now in Job's three friends. Yeah, you know about those three. They heard of all this evil that was coming upon him. They came everyone from his own place. Eliphaz and Bildad and so far. They came to mourn and supposedly to comfort. They didn't do much of that. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off. And what, what's it say? Job had suffered so much, his three best friends could not even recognize him physically. You would think they would come. They saw, verse 13, his grief was great. So chapter 4, they decide to offer him words of encouragement. Look what it says in verse 4. Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. You once were a comfort 
to those that needed it. But now it, trouble has come upon thee, and thou faintest, Job. You looked up, it's like you fainted. It, it, it touches thee, and, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I pray thee, who, whoever perished, Job, being innocent? Or, or where were the righteous cut off? If, if you were that righteous or that innocent, God wouldn't be punishing you like he is right now, Job. Hug. Group hug, guys. Group picture. Job, let us pray for your iniquity, because if you were a better Christian, certainly you wouldn't be suffering this. Even as I have seen, they the plow iniquity, Job, sow wickedness, they're going to reap the same. <laughs> we knew inside that house, evil was hidden. Oh, you looked so good for so long outside, Job, but you're finally getting what you truly deserve. Love you, Job. Love you, buddy. Have you ever had someone that called themselves a friend when you were at your lowest moment, you thought they'd be there with the right words and the right gift, and they only brought a knife to the kidney? Whatever words of comfort felt more like a slap in the face, you knew maybe they were attempting, but what was spilling out and spewing out was more like vomit than comfort. It hurt like salt. In the wound. And Job thought, of all that I've lost, at least I have three friends left. My wife, understandably, is under great distress and she's lost everything, including her children. She's looking at her husband suffer. Of course, she's going to say, Curse God and die. But certainly, my three friends are spiritual enough to come with spiritual discernment and spiritual encouragement, and lift me up, not kick me back down. But Job even lost the confidence of his best friends. Be careful. Church, I, I, I said all that because I think God's trying to show us something spiritual here. Which is, we just expect God to give us his blessings, and give us children, and give us wealth and give us health and give us friends and give us a mate and when one of those is taken god is no longer good you know how we measure the goodness of god listen to christians when they say something and then say god has been so good to me you know what they're pointing at a new car with a seven-year note a new house with a 30-year mortgage you need to say Wells Fargo has been so good to you. <laughs> Why don't you talk about your health? Why don't you talk about your intellect? Why don't you talk? God has been good to you, but we tend to measure his goodness in the wrong areas of life. And God may take a friend. I've had friends come and friends go. I've had friends that once spoke highly of me, then begin to attack me. Guess what? God gives and he takes. And when he takes, your true faith is measured. So let me ask you this year. Forget the economy and forget the politics and forget the freedom. And who's been more blessed than American Christians? In the past 50 years? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. 
You know what God has done for us? He has given and given and given from the house you live in to the car you drive to the bed you sleep in to the coffee you drink to the maid that God has provided you and the children your good health and long life, incredible freedom, great church. God has given to you in excess. And yet our faith is feeble. How are we going to measure out when he takes when we didn't measure well in his goodness? What if we didn't do so well when God literally had opened the windows of heaven and just poured out for decades his blessing and yet we still couldn't be strong in the faith? We still couldn't be committed. We still couldn't be faithful. We still couldn't tithe. We still couldn't trust him in the best of moments. Church, what if this is the year he says, I gave you a lot. I'm going to take back a little. You know what God was doing? God was allowing not just Satan, but men for the next thousands of years measure the faith of Job and say his faith measured strong in success. His faith measured strong when God took what he had given from him. Not one thing, not one thing at a time, but everything in a single blow. Now look what it says. Go back with me, back to chapter 1. Job lost everything, but he did not lose his faith. 1 verse 20, then Job arose, he rent his mantle, shaved his head, and here's what we would have done at that point, cursed the day. Blasphemed God. I wonder why Satan was so convinced that Job would do the opposite of what he did because that's what Satan is accustomed to seeing Christians do. Let one thing go wrong in their day and suddenly they're angry. A flat tire. They didn't lose their car. They had a flat tire. And God's no longer good. The barista gave him the wrong coffee. I ordered a cappuccino, not a latte. I have to hate you from here on. My Christianity cannot survive a difference in my coffee. Then Job arose, he ran his mantle, shaved his head, fell down on the ground, and did what? Oh, most Christians shave their head and fall on the ground. That's called collapsing, spiritual collapse. That's not what he was doing. He was worshiping, and look what he said, verse 21. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath what? Taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord in all this, Job sinned not. Now, church, as we look at the future and we talk about faith, why God brought this to my attention on the first service of the year, the first message in the series, I do not know. True faith says, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 